18, chapter 2 of Revelation, and verse number 18. <clears throat> the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and thy charity, and service, and faith, and patience, and, and thy works. He says, And the last to be more than the first. And what he's talking about, your last days and your last works, these things actually becoming more and more and more. He said, you're increasing, you're doing good. This would be the kind of church you would want to be a part of. He says, I know your love, your charity. That word charity is in the Greek, and uh, it's called uh, agape. And he's talking about your unconditional love for people. I know your works, your service, your faith, all of these things. And he says, and the latter works, your last day's works, are even greater than when you first started as a church. But look at verse 20. He says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works." But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, says, as they speak, he says, I will put none other, or put upon you none other burden. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule with uh, them with a rod of iron and the vessels of the potter or of a potter shall they break into shivers even as I received of my father and I will give him the morning star he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches father as we come Lord already and prayer has been much made Lord all morning long Lord people have already stood up here and they sought you and they've asked you and Brandon has asked you to roll uh, Lord, we've rolled out the red carpet saying that you are welcome in this place. <clears throat> Andrew and Megan sang a prayer to you. Lord, that song was not to the church, it was just to you. And so, Lord, I pray that same prayer that they did. Lord, and I ask you, God, that you would just please speak to our hearts like only you can. And God, we ask you to give us wisdom and understanding this morning and discernment of the Spirit of God to know this Word and to know what you've spoke to the church at Thyatira, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and ask it all. Amen. You can be seated. Now this morning, as we talk about this fourth church, Thyatira was probably one of the least cities of the seven cities in the seven churches. It was probably one of the smallest one. It was actually founded by Alexander the Great, years before the church was planted there, and he founded it as a garrison city. He founded it as a military outpost to where he would have his laborers there. Uh, not only that, but it's more of an industry style of city. Thyatira is one that if you were to go there today in, uh, in Turkey, it would not be much bigger than our church building here in the whole area, the only things that are left. It's very common it wasn't a city like Ephesus that was known for all of its import and exports. It wasn't a big city like uh, Smyrna. Uh, it wasn't a city like uh, 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 Pergamum where they had the altar of Zeus and the huge library there. And remember, all three of those churches and cities, they had main uh, thoroughfares. They had main roads or caravan roads that ended at trade routes. And they would do... But Thyatira was the one that actually kept all of those other cities big. It would be a city much like Birmingham. You know, Birmingham, although it is big, it's not a New York City. It's not a Los Angeles. It's not a Chicago, Illinois. It's Birmingham. But a lot of the workers, a lot of our products, a lot of things that are made and created with hands are put out, even by Birmingham, known for what? All of our, our iron ore, known for our cast iron. Even uh, we know that <clears throat> there are uh, one big guy, he's about 56 feet tall, right? He stands over there on Red Mountain. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. But Vulcan is one of the, it is not one of, it is the largest cast iron statue in the whole world. And it stands taller than any other one. And it represents what? Our city and the industry and what we do. And 
Thyatira was much like that. Thyatira was known for its commerce in wool. It was known for its commerce in forging and in fire and making uh, uh, metal, making, uh, excuse me, making weapons and stuff out of metal. Also making silver or, or refining the silver and refining the gold. Also, they were very well known because of the water that came into Thyatira. It being so wrapped up with the minerals, they were known for making the most red color that you could actually produce. And in, in Rome and in the Roman times, those are the things that you would want. As a, as a king, you wanted the most royal red look. You wanted the most purple look. Uh, Thyatira is also known as the place where a woman in the Bible, her name was Lydia. If you read about her, I think it's in Acts chapter number 16. It says a certain woman in verse 14 named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. The Bible says, "...whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful unto the Lord, come into my house and abide there." And she constrained us. The Bible talks about Lydia being one of the first converts of the city of Thyatira. She was actually in Philippi at this time. And when Paul preached the gospel to her, Sister Darlene, she was actually touched by the gospel through the Holy Spirit of God. After she heard the word of Paul, she received Christ, and then she was baptized and her household. And looking at how all of this started and the commencing of it, the Bible says that Thyatira was something that really wasn't to be looked upon, that it was glorious, but it was just your average, ordinary, regular little place that had a lot of workers and had a lot of people. Thyatira was not only that, but they were known for the gods that they worshipped, just like all of these other cities. Remember we talked about Ephesus being the city that had the huge temple of Artemis, or Diana. You remember that the Roman name would be Diana. She was the goddess of fertility. She was the goddess of hunting. And actually her temple in Ephesus was so big that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Then we talked about how Smyrna was wrapped up and they had gods that were multiple gods that were worshipped. But Ephesus and Pergamum or Pergamos was actually the two cities that were the largest for what? Being known to worship the gods of Rome. And then also they turned around and started worshipping the emperors and the Caesars. And Pergamum being the first one that built the temple in honor of Caesar Augustus. And, uh, and, and so all of these things are going on. And this, these churches are mixed right in the middle of them all. But also in Thyatira, it's the same way. In Thyatira, it's not as much as they actually built certain temples and they built elaborate places of marble and of stone and all the beauty carvings and stuff like that. But these were the people that they worked and they actually formed what are called guilds, G-U-I-L-D-S. And guilds are in the times of where uh, if you worked in the iron industry, if you worked in the silver industry, if you worked in the wool industry, or you were like uh, Lydia and you were a maker of purple linen, you actually would form a guild. You would actually perform up together what would be like a union today but not just in the union to protect your rights, but you would also, not only would you work together, but you would celebrate together, you would have feasts together, and they would call all of the guilds together, and they would separate out into each one's guild, and they would celebrate as a family together. But not only that, but they also worshipped together, and what they worshipped was, is when they came together, they would worship Apollo, which was a sun god. They would worship Artemis or Diana. They would worship all of these gods in their own creative guild. And you say, well, that's kind of crazy, Brother Steve. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, I remember when I was just a young kid and my granddad was a part of the thing with the UAW, with the union. And my granddad was a sheet metal worker for PIMCO, for Hayes and Aircraft. And I can remember going to union meetings or union celebrations. They had them at Oak Mountain State Park. And I can remember all of those men and all of those other people and the, people, the women, they would gather together and they would have a big, huge day of barbecue and celebrating and coming together. And what they were doing was is that they were rewarding all of those laborers that were in the union but yet they also celebrated together and they feast together and you say brother Steve that sounds crazy to me that people would have had that and turned it all into worship too but they did in the days of Thyatira and when Jesus addressed this church at Thyatira those are the things that are going on 
And we need to understand it probably more than anyone else. And I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or offend you today, but we do. We look at it at the city of Birmingham in 1903. A man by the name of Giuseppe actually built that Roman god that's the god of fire and the god of uh, forging, and it's the god Vulcan. Every one of you teenagers, all you kids, you understand what I'm talking about when you remember and you talk about the Vulcan. When I was a kid, we used to drive down the interstate, and I would always look up there to see if the green light was on or the red light was on, which meant that there was a fatality or no, it was uh, 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 no fatalities that day. Uh, but in 1903, when it was built, it's actually formed, and it was cast in New Jersey in an empty church, and they cast the whole body of this uh, Roman god Vulcan, the god of fire, and sent it down here into different pieces. <clears throat> and when they sent it down to us in Birmingham to do what? To celebrate and honor what we do here in all of our cast iron and all of our iron ore and all of our working and stuff. And then we had it put together. They looked at it all. He had a spear in his right hand. He had a hammer on the anvil in his left hand. And then uh, also they took it apart in 1904 and they sent it up to the World's Fair in St. Louis, Missouri. It won an outstanding award. It won a great recognition. They took it all apart in 1904, put it back on a train, brought it all the way back to Birmingham and you would think that they would have put it back together and put it up on the hill and done all that at that time but no much like we do in Birmingham and in the surrounding areas we couldn't afford to pay the freight on it and so they left it on the side of the train tracks <laughs> for a long time and then in 1936 it was brought to the Alabama State Fairgrounds that they lost the spear in the moving back from St. Louis and uh, when they lost that they actually used it as an advertising they put pickles in his right hand because he didn't have a spear they put a coke in his right hand because he didn't have a spear but then in 1936 they put it back up and they or they actually erected it up on a top of Red Mountain and there it stands and and this this Roman God called Vulcan is the God God over forging and fire. And not only that, but many of you don't know this, but Vulcan also has its own moon, and it's always shining on Homewood. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can ask some of these older ones that are laughing, or as I've said before, ask your mom when you get home. <clears throat> uh, moon over Homewood is exactly right. But church... We think that we've moved away from the days, and I said all that to say this, because we think we've moved away from the days of Thyatira and worshiping gods such as that. But we have one that's the largest in the world, made out of cast iron, that looks over the city of Birmingham and honors what we do in our commerce and in our business. Now, I know that hopefully none of you in this sanctuary has ever gone down there and bowed before him, front or back, and worshipped him and gave honor unto him. But let me tell you something. It's the same mentality. We're that same kind of church that Thyatira is. We are workers. We are laborers. We are people that have certain things. We are also in many ways much military. We're, we're military strong. And listen, we need to beware of things that we allow up because although you may not worship that, there are other people that do. There are other people that don't worship. They would say, I don't dare worship Vulcan, the god of fire and the god of forging. But there are many people that worship their job. They worship their position that they're in. They worship the things that bring them what? Money after money after money after money. And so Church Thyatira got started in that way, and we much got started in the same similar way. And so we have to be careful. But I want you to look at verse number 18. The Bible talks about the characteristic that Jesus is going to speak to them. He says, These things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes as a flame unto a fire, or flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. The Bible says, and this is the next part, Josh, it's the characteristic of Jesus. It says that this thing saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Church, when you're looking at that scripture in verse number 18, notice the first thing that comes off the page. It's different. To this church, Jesus says that this is the one, he that writes unto you has the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He that writes unto you, he that speaketh unto you, he that writes. But in this scripture, the Bible says, these things saith the Son of God. 
capitalized. He pointed out, Brother Brian, that Jesus says, I am the Son of God. And you say, well, church, what, what would that really matter? You, and remember that in this city of Thyatira, and even in the church, they were actually moving over to worshiping a one that actually was their leader of all of their industry, the Son God, S-U-N, Son God. His name was Apollo. People that understand the Roman gods and all these other things, they, you would understand who I'm talking about. Apollo is one that they actually called him the Son of God. They didn't call him capital Son of God, but they called him the Son God who is the Son of God. How many of you remember we talked about Ephesus and the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana that she was what? She was the god of fertility or the goddess of fertility and the goddess of hunting. And did you know that Apollo and Artemis are actually twin brother and sisters according to the Roman gods? And did you know who their father is? We talked about him last Sunday, and he had a throne in Pergamum. And you remember, it was the throne of Zeus. Zeus is called the king of all gods. He is the god of all gods. He's the creator of all the gods. And now we have his son and his daughter, Apollo and Artemis, that are twins, and that they're actually leading in the race. In Ephesus, Artemis is being worshipped. In Thyatira, listen, Apollo is being worshipped because he's the sun god. He's the heat. He's the one that forged. He's the one that brings the fire and the heat. Church, all of these things are being tied together. And Jesus points out, he says, let me speak to you, pastor of this church, and let me tell you right off the bat that this is not Apollo, a son of God, or who is called the lowercase son of God. This is Jesus Christ writing this to you, and I am the son of God. Now listen, Jesus Christ being the son of God didn't pronounce it on his own. He didn't say it on his own. The Bible says even when he was baptized, what happened? It says there was a voice that came from heaven and said, This is my son. Amen. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Not only that, but another time at the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, This is my beloved son. And not only did God the Father say he was son, but one time Peter looked at him and said, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. Not only that, but the Bible even teaches us that there was a centurion soldier who was a pagan idol-worshipping soldier that stood at the foot of the cross that day and said, surely this is the Son of God. He even said another, truly this was the Son of God. Man, Jesus said, this is not just someone writing you. This is not Artemis. This is not Apollo. This is not Diana. This is not Zeus. This is the Son of God that is addressing you. And he says, I have eyes that are as of a flame of fire. And that points to what, church? It points to the omniscience of Jesus Christ. It means that he sees everything that we do. He understands everything that we do. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who can search the reins and the heart. He sees through all deception. He sees through all of our appearances. He watches everything the church does, and his eyes are capable of what? True, honest, and correct judgment. Amen? The second thing you notice in that scripture, he says also that his feet are like fine brass, like fine bronze. What does that mean? It means that he also has strength and he has power. It means that he has power that as though he has already walked through the furnace, as though he has already walked through the fire, his eyes are like a flaming fire doing what? That is forging, actually making and melting down to see what is actually inside of you just like a metal worker does. Then not only that, but his feet are like bronze. And listen, what that means is that his strength is, is that where he walks, even in the fire, that his feet won't be hurt, that he won't be damaged, but all of the vessels, all of the pottery, all of the vessels of iron, all of the gods that were made by the silver and the iron. Brother Carl, he has enough power because he has those brass feet, like feet like brass, like bronze, that he can crush upon those things and that he can destroy them at any moment. You say, Brother Steve, that's harsh. It's very harsh words that Jesus is going to speak to us today. He tells us, these are my characteristics, my eyes and my feet. Listen to what the commendation was. In all of those things, and, in fix, and automatically, church, listen real quick. And I'm trying to go a little bit faster. In all of those things that Jesus is fixing, Brother Keith, to come and judge against this church, because you know this church already. You understand through the title that I've called it the false church, because you know that they're teaching false doctrine. But in all those things, Jesus still has something good to say to them. He commends them. What does he say? He says, I know your works and your charity and your service and faith and patience and your works and the last to be more than the first. He says what? Again, there's the fourth church in a row. I know your works. Jesus knows everything. But even while he's fixing to exhort and correct this church, he's got something good to say. He says, I know your charity. I know your love. 
He says, I know your love. I know your agape love. You have a love that is an unconditional love. And when we have that kind of love, he's talking about you got the love that he has for us. You know, God has an unconditional love for you. That even while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Why? Because he loves you. Did you know that God shall love the world that gave his only son? Why? Because he agape, he loves you unconditionally. <clears throat> he loves you without you actually loving him back. He has already loved you first. We love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. It's an agape love. And he commends this church, Brother Mitch, and he says, you have this charity, this agape, you have this love. He said it's a love. Listen, you know who needed that love? The church at Ephesus needed that kind of love. They got reprimanded. Why? Because they left their love. They left their agape. But this church is commended because they have great love like God has for us. But also it says you have service and faith. You have love, service, and faith. Love works in faith. Love works in faith. And I want you to think about it for a moment. He's not telling them that you have love at one moment, service in another moment, and faith in another feeling. He's saying this, they all flow together. It's a continuation, as he says right there, and I know your works, and charity, and service, and faith, and patience, and your works. What he's saying, and is, he's bringing those things together. He's continuing those things, not separating those things. You know why? Because there are people to tell you today in society that you've got to have truth in one hand and love in the other hand and help people out. That's not true according to the Scripture. You must have love and truth in both the same hand in order to help people out. Because if you only have love in one hand and you have truth, truth in the other and you reach out to help people only in love, you may love them, but you won't love them enough to be able to share the truth with them and to be able to help them out. And if you only have truth in one hand, then you'll turn into the church at Ephesus that only had good doctrine, but yet they had love back here in their back pocket and they never helped anybody out because they were always pointing fingers about the truth. And the love people is always accepting them in and never telling them the truth. If you look on a coin that you have in your pocket, I'm not going to tell you like Jesus and ask you whose inscription's on there. But if you look at it, it has a head and a tails. But it's the same coin. It's the exact same coin. It has a head and a tails. It has that one side and the other side. Why? Because you put it in one hand. And that's the same way with truth and love. That's the same way, church. Listen, with faith and works. Faith and charity, you got to have them together. You can't separate your faith from your love or your love from your faith. You've got to have it both flowing together. Jesus says, or excuse me, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but what? He says, but faith which worketh by love. They work together. They go together, church. Listen, Thyatira abounded in love. They abounded in service, abounded in faith. And surely nothing could be wrong with this church. But look at the criticism that Jesus had in verse 20. He says, notwithstanding, I have somewhat against you. He said, I have a few things against you. Because you suffer that woman Jezebel, which call herself a prophet, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, first of all, I want you to understand, Daniel Aiken said this, God doesn't expect us to be perfect, though perfection is the mark that we strive for. What he does expect for us is to call sin what he calls sin, and we must obey God rather than man. See, it's not us calling sin what we think sin is. We are to call sin what God says sin is. And not only that, we are not perfect, and we know that, but we can't continue to use that excuse going, well, no one's perfect, Brother Steve, because the perfection is the mark that we are striving for. And perfection in the Scripture is translated mature. It means that we are to grow up with what the book of James in our one-to-one Bible school, uh, uh, Sunday school on Sunday mornings is talking about, about growing up in Jesus. And we need to stop using the excuse, well, he made me this way. No, 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 no. He made you perfect and whole. Sin has messed you up and marred you up. And you, that's why he says you need to be born again. It isn't that we just go, well, God knows my heart and God expects me. He knows I'm going to do all this stuff. That's not the way that we should be. We should be able to come like they sang about earlier and just simply say, Lord, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for what I think that I am or what I see in myself and what you see, Lord, and forgive me. Matthew chapter 4 says this, or chapter 5, verse 48 says this, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. 
Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3. Not as though I'd already attained or were already perfect, but I follow after that if that I might apprehend what I am also apprehended of, Christ Jesus. He said, brethren, I count myself or not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Look at what he says. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, is I'm not satisfied with staying back and I'm not satisfied with looking backwards, but I'm constantly doing what? Striving more and more toward perfection and being more and more like Christ every single day of my life and less and less and less like Steve. Less and less and less like who I think I am. I'm striving every day to be more and more and more like Jesus. Amen. If you ask me today, Brother Steve, how's that going for you? You've been trying to work on it for about 25, 26 years now and still working on it. Amen? Listen, Jesus said he had a few things against this church. He said, you allow Jezebel, not the actual woman. She's dead. She's been dead for a long time. But her characteristic and a woman that was in this church that had the characteristics. Let me say something to you. He said, you allow her to do things. What did he allow? What did this church allow? You're allowing her to come in and, and you're allowing her to teach. You're allowing her to bring people into fornication. You're allowing to do all these things. Listen, but anyone and anything that gets your eyes off of Jesus is not of God. Anyone or anything that diminishes, changes, or adds to the gospel of Jesus Christ is not of God. Anyone or anything that compromises on biblical truth is not of God. It's not of God. If you're going to say today, I believe that God has put me and this fella together or me and this woman together and your relationship is built off lies that you've told, it can't be false. It can't be of God. It can't be that way. Can God forgive and bless? Yes, God can forgive. But listen, let me tell you something. Things that come out of sin are only going to bring forth the seeds of sin. Then it must be done in the right way and you must say, God, please correct me. Please search me and try me and see. Listen, the Bible says, first of all, number one, you allow the spirit of Jezebel, you allow her to call herself a prophetess. This woman was in the church at Thyatira and she was a self-proclaimed prophetess. But listen, before you guys get your slacks all bunched up and messed up and in a wad, there were women in the Bible that had the gift of prophecy. Who said yeah? Thank you, Brother Brian. Read the Bible. There was a woman by the name of Anna who was a prophetess. The Bible says we all love to talk about Simeon that saw. He says, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. But what about the lady that was second in behind? And she saw the Lord Jesus too when he came. Amen? What about Philip the Evangelist? Everybody like Philip the Evangelist? I always talk about Adam being Philip the Evangelist. He's preaching now even while I'm preaching. But Philip the Evangelist. Huh? Always talk about doing that. You know, he had four daughters. He had four daughters. Did you know that four of his daughters, they were all four, were called prophetesses? You say, what do you mean by that, brother? See, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse number 16 and 17, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What is prophesying, Brother Steve? It is declaring the Word of God. Every woman in here, every man in here has the right and the God-given spiritual right to declare the Word of God, to share what God's Word says, to share the Gospel with people, to be able to do what? To be a public crier of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of them, look at what it says next. It says, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And what that means is it doesn't mean that the young men are ADD, and they always daydream and see visions, and it doesn't mean that the old men are always asleep, and that's why they're dreaming. What it means is God is going to move on all flesh. God's not going to move on one priest in the priesthood. He's going to move upon all the people that are saved and born again. And we are what? We are kings and priests with Jesus. Now, I know that most guys with slacks on don't like that and that it gets you all bunched up inside. But the Bible says that this woman actually was a prophetess, but she was different from Anna. She was different from Philip's four daughters. She was different from the ones that proclaimed the word of God. No. She was much different. Why? Because she was self-proclaimed. He says, and she calls herself, you allow her to call herself a prophetess. And the second thing is, you allow her to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Look there in verse number, um, verse number 20. 
Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you, because you suffered the woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants, commit fornication and eat things sacrificed unto idols. You're doing all of these things and you're allowing this stuff. Who is Jezebel? Brother Steve, make a time out and who is Jezebel? Jezebel was an Old Testament woman that actually was a prophet daughter, a prophetess daughter of a prophet of Baal. Anybody understand Old Testament? You remember the prophets of Baal? What were the prophets of Baal? They were actually people that actually committed fornication. When they went to worship their God, they did it in sexual acts. They did it in ways to where they ate meat that were sacrificed unto idols and stuff. The same exact stuff that's going on in the city of Thyatira. The Bible says that what happened, she married a king of Israel. His name was Ahab, not Ahab, but Ahab, and got together. And you know what she caused? She did not cause Israel to be profited from that, but she actually brought Israel into sin. You know, the Bible teaches about marrying outside of the belief of God. It says we should not be unequally yoked together. Amen? It does. And the reason is, it's not because God's mad at you or because God doesn't like you or God wants to be hateful to you. It's for you and always has been for you and for us. And what he was saying is, he told Saul, do not marry the wives that are out a part of Israel. And why? Why would Solomon go and do that? He married 700 women, 300 girlfriends, and 700 women. And he had all these Israelite women that he could have married. Why did God tell him not to do that? Why did Nehemiah chapter 12 tell the people of Israel not to do that? It wasn't. Listen to me. Before you use it as a skin color, you need to read your Bible. It wasn't about the skin color. It wasn't about the skin color. Go read your Bible. It was all about, he said, if you do this, then what's going to happen is, is their false gods that they worship, you're going to bring them into your own home, and you're going to begin to be tender, and you're going to worship their gods instead of them worshiping your gods. It's true. That's what happens nowadays. I'm going to marry that old guy, and I'm going to get him saved. Let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit can't get him saved, you can't get him saved. Amen. Listen. He said that you allow all these things to happen. And Jezebel came into the land of Israel and committed all this stuff. And God said that she would die and she died. The Bible says, and I'm going to go quick through this, that the church of Thyatira was allowing all of this stuff to happen. Because they loved people so much, they sat back and were passive. And they allowed it to happen. And they allowed Jezebel, this woman character in this church, to stand up and to present herself as a prophetess and to lead people into sin and fornication. You know what? You could probably hear the words of Jezebel as she would teach them and say that all things kind of flow together. That, listen, God never created you in order to keep you from things. You ought to allow things just to happen. You ought to just go with the flow. You ought to allow the sacred things of God to be mixed with the secular things of the world. You know, that, and if you can do that, then you have more wisdom and you have more knowledge than all these other people. If you will allow yourselves to be indoctrinated by secularism and allow these sinful things to come in, did you know that you'll have more grip on grace than anyone else? You know, that's what people teach today. People teach that same thing and it's all because they love them and they love them and they love them but they're holding love in one hand and truth in the other hand. You better stick those two things together because if you really love them, you'll tell them the truth and you'll blow the trumpet and warn them that that lifestyle is going to lead to death. That that lifestyle of sin is going to lead you to lose everything you've got and you need to sound the alarm and tell them. Now, you don't need to tell them in a hateful way without love. You need to put it together. Can't you hear Jezebel as she's saying to all of them, listen, Jesus never expected us to follow him and allow our businesses to suffer, our friendships to suffer, and our churches to examine every word that somebody speaks in church by the word of God. Remember, you're free in Christ. If Christ has made you free, then you need to live in freedom. You need to live in liberty and in freedom. But liberty has never been a license for you to go and sin. Paul said, should we continue in sin? that grace would be abounding and stronger and get bigger and bigger. You know what Paul said about the matter? He said, God forbid. You don't go out and cuss somebody out just so you can make grace look good by asking God to forgive you. You don't go out and sleep with someone else, uh, else's wife or husband in order to make grace look better. You don't go out here and get drunk or get hammered or get stoned or get high in order to come to the church and say, oh, I'm going to get the grace of God and to make the grace of God look bigger. Amen. The grace of God is big as it's going to be. It's huge. It even covers a multitude of sins. You don't sin in order to make grace bigger because of your sin grace is already much bigger because what we deserve in our sin is what death 
But because of grace, because of grace, He what? He forgives you. Listen, when the church looks like the world, you've got a sick church. But when the church allows the world to come in and teach them, then you've got a false church. You've got a false church. So Jesus said you need correction. Look at what He said in verse 24 and 25. We're going to skip the other verses and come back. Listen, please hang with me. We've had a wonderful music service, and I know you love that. Please just stay with me just for a moment. Don't turn me off. He says in verse number 24, But I say unto you and unto the rest that are in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths or the secrets of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which you have already, already hold fast till I come. All hope's not lost just yet for Thyatira. There are some in this church, Brother Craig, that don't have this doctrine, and they're not walking in the depths or the secrets of Satan. And you hear what it says about the depths? It's talking about the secrets of Satan. You know why? Because most things that are false have portions of truth in them. You listen to them. Most false religions have portions of truth that are in them. Satan designed it that way. See, he couldn't invent anything because he's not a creator. He's only a counterfeit of everything. And so he takes God's truth and twists it just one small notch to the left or to the right. He did the same thing to Jesus. And he tried to twist it because why? False doctrines have truth in them. I don't know if y'all got nervous about it, but Brother Brian, even on his video today, one of the first pictures out of the gate is all of the speakers, Brian, Nick, and uh, MJ, standing there at a cooler, and they're mixing Kool-Aid. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the picture we want to send out to everybody. You know, we had a good time on the trip, and the first picture is stirring Kool-Aid. And Brian looks like he's stirring it with his hand. That's the second thing, you know. It's true. We don't want people to think that North Island's all about the Kool-Aid. That's the way it starts. And Kool-Aid. Get it something sweet, but then you put the poison in it. Something sweet to put the poison in. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus says you're living and you are treading on dangerous grounds with your false doctrine. He said, Thyatira, you look like a church. He said, but you're worshiping of the guilds and of the gods and of your possessions and of the things that you do. And your worship and your allowance of this woman Jezebel to come in and to teach you these heresies and these doctrines that are false doctrines. He said, you're treading on dangerous ground. He said, but not all of you have. And not all of you know the secrets or the depths of Satan. You hear what he said? Not all of you are in the back understanding and grabbing a hold of those secrets that Satan wants to throw out there. You know, this is the third time that Satan's name is used in the churches when he's describing him. Satan had a seat. Satan had a place. You remember? Now Satan right here has a voice. And he's talking to them. Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to put any other bur burden on you. And what he's saying is, I'm not going to expect anything more on you because right now you're living in hard times. Are you paying attention? Right now you're living in a very difficult time. He said, you got Jezebel, Satan, that's whispering in you about these secrets and this wonderful secret or depths that actually take you deeper into God's walk. Let me say something to you. Satan cannot take you deeper in your Christian walk with the Lord. Doing things that are sinful are not going to take you farther in your walk with the Lord. And that's what Jezebel was teaching these people. This woman was teaching in the church, and the followers of Jezebel were teaching this. They were saying, you continue to walk, and you will grow deeper, and you will understand more, and you'll have more wisdom. And Jesus says, I'm not going to put any more wisdom or burden upon you. He said, but what you do have, look what he says, you hold fast. He said, what you already got, you just hold on to it. Until I come, you just hold on. Listen, church, until Jesus comes, we just got to hold on. This world today wants to take a person that's preaching the gospel and they want to criminalize them. They want to take a person that's standing up preaching the truth of God's word and tell all of you and convince you in a secret style that this person hates you and that this person is speaking hate against you and that they need to be convicted and they need to be thrown into prison because they hate everyone. When, listen, actual truth from the pulpit and preachers that are preaching the truth and love in the same hand, listen, that's not hate. That's the greatest love you could ever understand. And he said, what you've got. You need to hold on, but he gives them a caution. Listen, Andrew, you and Megan, come on. You want to give a caution in verse 21. Go back up to verse 21. This is where he says it. And I want you to really, really listen to this. Pay attention. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Listen to me. 
That is a, that is a what a mighty God. See, everybody, listen to it real quick. Listen to the scripture, and I'm going to read it all. I'm going to show you what sticks out to you probably more than anything. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she did not. Behold, I will cast her into bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and will give to every one of you according to your works. When you read that, most everyone, most every person, what sticks out more than anything, that Jesus says he's going to kill her children. But you don't read that it says, I gave her space to repent. The Bible says that Jesus said, I give her opportunity after opportunity to repent. I gave her space to repent. And he says, and I tell you what, she will not. She is so callous, she is so reprobate that she will not repent. But you know what God is saying in that scripture? He's saying, listen church, he's saying, that's not on me. That is not my fault and that is not my part. I didn't make her to be that way. I didn't make her reprobate, turn her and do those things and create her into that. I gave her over to what she wanted. The scripture in Romans chapter 1 does not say that God makes people into reprobate. It says that he turns them over to a reprobate mind. And what that means, Brother Mitch, is that he gives them exactly what they've always wanted. They want sin, they want adultery, they want fornication, they want power, they want prestige. Jesus says, here, you can have it. But he gave her opportunity to repent. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'll cast her into a bed. And what he's saying is, I'm going to openly reveal her and who she is. And those that commit adultery with her, he says what? He was going to get rid of them. Think about it for a moment. Committing adultery. Why? Why such harsh words, brother? Why kill? Why such harsh words like adultery? When you think about adultery, it's one of the things in, when you think about marriage, you think about Jesus as the, the groom and we're the bride and the church, Brother Ronald. What is the worst word you can think of when you think about a marriage? Adultery. Harlotry. It's the worst word you can think of. And Jesus is broken hearted when he says this, Brian. He said she will be in a bed and those that commit adultery with her. What he's saying is because they profess to be married to me. But they commit adultery with her. They confess to be married to my truth, but yet they are lying with what? An adulterer. Jesus says, even all of that, look at it, church, even in all of that, Brother Wes, even in all of that, Wesley, you know what he says? He says, I accept they repent of their deeds. Andrew, even in all of that, committing adultery and going the wrong way against God, he even still says that they can have a chance to repent of their deeds. What a God we serve, amen? That he offers the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says in Psalms that he doesn't mark. He said, oh Lord, if you mark an iniquity, who can stand? Lord, if you're keeping a tally of them all, who would be able to be forgiven? He said, but there is forgiveness with thee, O Lord. Amen. Yes. Amen. Come on. Praise God. He said he gave her a chance to repent. And then he says, I'll give the people that committed adultery a chance to repent. But look, he says, but with her children, I'll kill with death. What are you saying? I will give them what they want. You know what you have to become to be children? You actually carry the same DNA. He was saying the people that have committed and went over to the point where they do not want to repent either, he says, then death will be their answer. Now you look at that and you say, Brother Steve, I can't believe that Jesus would say, I will kill her children with death. But you'll believe Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. You'll also shout whenever Jezebel is destroyed. But her children that do the same thing, that are her offspring, that live the same way and do not repent in the same manner, you will also get that same verdict. The Bible says, why? Because he's the one that searches the reins and the hearts. Why? Because his eyes are like a flame of fire. And he searches the reins and the hearts, church. The second thing he says, I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Jesus said that. Listen, he says, I will give according to your works. We're going to close. You know what that means? I won't have to stand before God for your sin and for your work. I'll stand before God 
all on my own. God uses the pastors as an instrument, as a messenger. But I'm going to tell you something. I'll stand before God accountable to what I preached, how I lived, what I shared, and how I dissected the truth of God's Word. But if you choose to go away from God and you choose to live in sin, I'm not standing before God on behalf of your works. Jesus Christ stood on the cross of Calvary, hung on the cross of Calvary for all of our sins. But He will give every one of you according to your works. Every one according to His works. Every one of you will stand. If you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, or if you stand before the great right throne of judgment, you will stand alone. You're not going to be cutting up in a line like some preachers have told you. You're not going to be thinking about things you're just going to come up with and say back to Jesus. And why didn't you do this? And God, why didn't you do that? You're not going to do that. The Bible says you will stand there and you will be speechless in the book of Matthew. All by yourself. You'll stand there. But listen to these last words. And I promise you, I did not plan it. I did not put it together. He's beautifully sewn together. The certainty or the certain reality is found in verses 26 through 29. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith through the churches. He that hath an ear. Men, women in here today, you got an ear. Listen to what the Lord is saying. He said, you're a false church. He said, but I'm giving you space to repent. It's right to love people, but it's wrong to love them in a manner to where you overlook truth that you need to give them. He said, you need to be a church that's about doctrine. You know what we see in this scripture, number one, is that we're going to reign with Jesus. We're going to reign with Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see, and that sticks out more than anything that I've ever read in my whole life, life in scripture all week I've prayed on this I've thought about it prayed, meditated all on it says he that overcomes and keeps my words until the end says unto him to all men, women, I will give power over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and what it's talking about, it's talking about truth the rod of iron, it's talking about correction and it's talking about that all of the vessels that are made, silver pottery, clay, any vessel at all says that it have the power to what? It would be destroyed. It says, look, the next thing, and then the vessels of the potter, they shall be broken to shivers. The feet of brass. What did Jesus tell us? Do not fear one that can destroy the body, but fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. See, although Jesus may afflict, I mean, Satan may afflict our bodies at times, and death will come to every single one of us, because we live in a corrupting body. Jesus is the one that has the feet of brass. But I want you to hear these words. He said, a rod of iron, shoes of brass, that will break what? Break them all into shivers. Pay attention, listen. Listen, listen, listen. Even as I received of my Father. Even as I received of my Father. I kept looking at those words. I kept looking at those words. I kept looking at those words. What happened to the body of Jesus? The body of Jesus because of God and His punishment against sin. The truth and the reality of sin was put all over and Jesus' body was broken. Broken into pieces. Broken for all of us. Broken. In the garden of Gethsemane. All Jesus could do was hold on. While sweat was coming out of him like blood. And he was in agony. At the place called Gabbatha. Which is the, the pavement. Where they were beating him. And they were examining him. And they took a whip. And struck it across his back. And broke the body of Jesus. All he could do was what? All he could do dad was hold on. To the whipping post. At Golgotha where they took him up. And drove nail spikes into his hands. And into his feet. Spit on him. Kicked him. Pulled his beard out. All he could do was what? Hold on. What did he do to hold on, Sister Darla? He held on to those nails and pulled up. And he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. 
in the grave, all he could do was hold on till what? Three days later, boom, he come out. Amen. All he could do is hold on. And he's telling the church at Thyatira, I'm not going to put any more burdens on you. Just hold on. Just keep holding on. And Jesus says, I understand what you're going through because I received those same things of my Father. And He says, and to him that overcomes, what? I will give the morning star. What do you mean? You're going to give me the north star? You're going to give me what? The morning star, the first prophecy about Jesus being the morning star was in the book of Numbers. The Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 22, it says that He is the bright and morning star. You know what he's saying? He's saying when you hold on to Jesus, you're going to get Jesus. He's saying you're going to get Jesus. And I can't even remember how the end of that song goes. But that's what they sang a while ago. And I'm over there going, Lord, how you put this together? You showed it perfectly together. Let me say something to you before we close. If you want sin, and you want destruction, and you want adultery, and you want that lifestyle, you're going to get what you want. You're going to get it all, and it ain't going to be God's fault because He's long-suffering, caring, not that any should die or perish, but all come to repentance. But if that's what you want, if you want the popularity, if you want the mouth, the cussing, if you want the drugs, and you want those things, God is such a God that He is going to be grieved, and He's going to reach out to you. But if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. He will give unto all of you according to your work, every one of you. But if you're like some of these others in Thyatira, and you're like a fat, sweaty, bald preacher at 12.20 on a Sunday. And all you care about and all you want is just Jesus. 26 years, that's all. I want to see Him. I want to kneel down at His feet. And the crown of glory that He presents, I want to lay it down at His feet and say, Thank you. Why would you have loved somebody like me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's all I've wanted for 26 years. Lord, I just want you. Just want you. And there's so many distractions, Brother Brandon, that cause me to stumble and not see him. Thyatira, he said, for those of you that hold on, I'm closing. For those of you that hang in there, for those of you that overcome, I'll give him the morning star. I'll give you Jesus. Father, we thank you for the move of the Holy Spirit. But God, I pray and I'll warn and I'll share with everyone here. They must surrender to that move of the Holy Spirit. They cannot stay. They must be moved by the Holy Spirit. God, I ask you that you just please move in our church this morning. Continue. And those that want Jesus, help them to hang on. Just hold on. Because he's coming. Lord, we love you. We praise you. God, speak to us now as they sing. God, speak to us through those words again as they sing. In Jesus' name. Come on, guys. Let's stand together. If you would come. Amen. Lord, we're caught up in your presence. Amen. Don't you want to? Caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Amen.